Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McCallan. The Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco owns over 300 acres on spectacular Mount Veter. Mount Veter is 10 miles west of Napa, California. The Lighthouse doesn't just own this over 300-acre area. The agency uses this gorgeous piece of land for a very special camp. That camp is called Enchanted Hills. At these Enchanted Hills, valuable recreational opportunities take place. They include walking a woody trail, jumping into a deep swimming pool, and creating a skit to perform in front of an audience. Enchanted Hills Camp is open to both the young and old. Here to talk about Enchanted Hills Camp, or EHC, is Tony Fletcher. He's the camp's director. Hey, Tony. Hey, Brian. Thank you for having me on today. It's great having you here, too. Let's first learn about you. How and when did you become Enchanted Hills Camp's director? And what motivated you to take this career choice? Well, I actually started with uh, Rose Resnick uh, Lighthouse back in 1989. And while I was working with Rose and then we merged with the Lighthouse for the Blind, I'd heard all about the camp. And so in 1998, the job became available um, as the camp director and I applied and I was um, I was hired for that position. Prior to that, I'd been running the youth programs, the and the adult recreation programs and doing day camp. Um, but and I had uh, a, a real interest with outdoor education, but I think it was from all my visits up to Enchanted Hills Camp. I thought, you know, I would, this would be a great job to have. And so that's when it all began, 1998. One of our listeners, one of your colleagues, Information Resources Program Coordinator, Beth Berenson, asks, what motivates him to continue running camp for so many years? It must be close to 20. It's the people, the people associated with Enchanted Hills Camp, the campers, the volunteers, the paid staff, the kitchen, the donor base. There are so many wonderful people associated with Enchanted Hills Camp. And not just in my time, I'm talking about all the folks who go back to when it started in 1950. Um, I, still, I still encounter campers that have been coming to camp since the 50s. Amazing. We're going to go back to the 50s here for a second. That's when EHC was born. How did EHC start more than 65 years ago? Well, Dr. Rose Resnick, uh, a blind woman herself, she attended a camp for the blind back in New York when she was younger. And that was her first experience really in outdoor education. When she came out to California during the 40s, she had studied at UC Berkeley to get her master's degree in education. And very frustrating, no work opportunities, no chance for even interviews. So she decided that she was going to organize blind youth to take uh, Saturday recreation programs and then start doing overnight camping. And then she started renting um, uh, camps to take kids camping along the way. So this is around 1947. Um, During those next couple of years, 47, 48, 49, her her rentals of other camps really led her to the belief she wanted to own one. 
So in 1950, her and her uh, business partner, Nina Brandt, had uh, secured um, a real estate agent to start looking around. And then the property up in Napa was found. It had been a boys camp for since uh, from 28 to about 47 and then been left abandoned for a couple of years. Uh, so the real estate agent said it was up for sale. Rose went up there with Nina and she said she knew within 30 seconds this was the place. And she um, negotiated them down. They wanted $100,000, which um, was too much. She thought that's too much money. Talked them down to about 70000 Didn't really even have enough for a down payment, <clears throat> but made a deal with the landowner that if they would be willing to sell her the property, that she would have it paid off in five years. And she did. Let's talk more about the camp and its various activities for everybody. I'm going to relate some of my personal experiences as a former EHC camper to these activities as well. First, the EHC sessions offer the classic campfires. I remember we all sang songs and performed little mini-skits. The campfires were held every first and last night during the high school session. Tell us more about the campfires. Well, the campfires uh, historically have <clears throat> been a fundamental program of the camp. Campfires are designed with the intention of bringing the campers together, the staff together, to learn and share, to get to know each other. It dates back to the earliest time of human existence with using campfire for warmth and comfort and security as a group. So I think that really kind of sets the tone for a, a good week at the last night. The closing campfire. It's a chance for everyone to share some of the remembrances of their favorite activities and to acknowledge different staff members and different friends that they've met at the camp. It's certainly designed with uniting all of us at the start and uniting us at the end. Coming together as one. I love it. There's a big pool for swimming. I remember lounging on one of the noodle tubes during my first EHC session. Describe the pool for us. I know it's a little deep. <laughs> well, it's only eight and a half feet deep. We've had, you know, <laughs> honestly, it's it's not deep enough to have a diving board anymore. The insurance companies made us take the diving board away years and years ago. Uh, it's about uh, 20, 25 meters long and about uh, 12, 12 meters wide. It's certainly the, uh, the place to be in the afternoons of Enchanted Hills Camp. The most popular program area by far is the swimming pool. Some, uh, some folks, it's the first place they've learned how to swim. For others, it might be the first place they've learned how to dive. For others, it's not even getting inside the pool as much as being around the atmosphere. And they'll sit on the, on the deck over in the shade area and play, uh, you know, Braille Uno or cards or chat. We have the radio's playing down there, the on-camp OJ radio music. So it's a very, very popular social scene. Um, I, I personally love the pool. That's my favorite program spot. It has been for the last few years. You can usually find me down there around 5 o'clock each day. One of our other listeners, former guest Dan Kaiser, one of my former guests on the show, he wants to know about EHC's guide ropes and their significance because there are these long, long guide ropes along the whole camp path. When the origin of the camp, when Rose started it in 1950, folks did not use canes as we know it today. Cane curriculum, travel training, orientation mobility 
is formalized more in the 40s after World War II, Rose recognized that there's a lot of folks who would like to travel more independently and not always using human guide or a dog guide, that they would use the uh, guide rope system. So it was designed to get from all the buildings, from place to place. And then, of course, over the period of years, everybody pretty much receives uh, cane training and they're bringing their canes and they have their dogs and they travel a lot a lot more independently without using the guide ropes because the guide ropes aren't replicated anywhere else. We still have some of the ropes in place uh, for historic purposes. They're not used nearly as much as they were back in the 50s and the 60s. People have tended to uh, use their canes or just walk. They know the path. People know if they've been coming to camp, they just have it all memorized for the most part. What will happen is that oftentimes you'll see sighted staff members using the guide ropes when it's a, a pitch black night and they're not used to you know, traveling without being able to see. You'll see sighted staff members use the guide ropes more at night than you will blind folk. I remember when Enchanted Hills housed the stable full of horses and me and one of my friends, former camper Waylon Temple, rode two broncos, two broncos all across those deep trails. We didn't ride the horses alone though. We got some special help. Tell us about the horse riding and the camper experience with that. Horseback riding is very special for for folks. You know, a lot of us do not have opportunities to ride horses. Usually it's because it's expensive. The other reason is because you might have to travel a distance. And the other reason is you might just not have someone who inspires you to do it. So at camp, horseback riding is a principal program. We have a horse area leader that's responsible for the health and care of uh, the campers, as well as the health and care of the horses, making sure that program runs smoothly. We'll assign different campers to go down there and use lead ropes for campers that are not feeling comfortable riding independently. It would always be our goal that someone could feel like they could ride the horse as independently as possible. That's a progressive direction for our campers. They they have to demonstrate that they can ride independently. So we take the safety stuff very seriously. But what a great experience. I mean, there's there's a great sound to the camp when you hear the horses walking by, when you hear the laughter and the chatter going on. We just use four horses each summer, and they're donated to us for our usage. They're usually very gentle horses. They're used to being ridden. And I would say that it is truly a highlight for many, many campers to be able to go horseback riding through the beautiful redwoods of, of Enchanted Hills Camp. And all they have to do is put on those helmets and just sit back, relax. And now we're going to break from physical activity and transition into the arts. There are arts, crafts, and drama activities that go with it all at EHC. I remember one play. West Side Story was performed mm-hmm. by campers in the summer of 2003. What are some of the additional plays that have been performed by campers? And do they have uh, to audition? Yeah, one of the first full days of program, folks go down to the Kiva. <clears throat> they learn about the radio room, the music programs and such, and that we like to do a play. And so folks that are interested in the play can try out for the play. And it's a commitment of at least one period a day, sometimes two in the afternoon generally, and that's coordinated by the enrichment area leader. Some of my favorite plays of the past, I'd have to say when we did Lion King, not only did 
we do all the music and all the activities and or the play production itself, but the costume design and all the masks that were made were just fantastic. Oftentimes, the enrichment program partners with the arts and crafts program for the overall performance, which is great. We did a wonderful version of uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Jungle Book was also one of my favorites. Another one that we did, and we actually did this one outside, outdoors, was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That one was a real interesting one, too, because we uh, included, we had a, three or four of our campers were also talented musicians, and this is during the team session, and they were the, uh, the band, the house band, playing the music and stuff for the production. That one was a great one also. Again, wonderful costume design, lots of campers participating, and staff participate. Usually there's anywhere from five to eight or nine staff members who get themselves active in the play, too. That's really good. One of the camp nights is movie night, too. I remember during the high school session watching the movies Goodwill Hunting with Robin Williams and Brad Pitt, Daredevil mm-hmm. with Ben Affleck, and Bruce Almighty with, yes, Jim Carrey on the big screen. Is the movie night still going on, and are the campers served hot buttered popcorn and soda during the movie? <laughs> yes, they are. One of the things we've done the last few years is the movie night's been outdoors. When we do it outdoors, popcorn gets a little, it's not as hot <laughs> by the time it gets to you. We've built a new outdoor amphitheater down in lower camp with a stage area. We put the screen up there and run the projector. So we have movie night under the stars down there. The movie night is still a, a popular activity. We do it both for the teen session and for the youth session and the adult session too. And there are also arts and crafts activities to the right of the dining hall. We're going to get to the food there in a minute. but And it's to the right of this pond, this big pond. It's a special room called the Hogan. Describe the Hogan and the artistic activities that go on in this special room. The Hogan, we have an arts and crafts area leader, teacher there. Most of our arts and crafts teachers over the last few years have been blind, visually impaired themselves. That's most of my area leaders. They like to teach some activities, materials from what they know and what they like to do. So a lot of tactile arts and crafts, a lot of beadwork, jewelry design, necklace. They'll do some clay. Also, there's folks that like to paint and do drawing and stuff. There'll be like a group activity. For example, they might do something with paper mache and maybe making pinatas for the nighttime activity. But other folks might want to still be part of the arts and crafts room. And they decide that what they're going to do is they're going to do some drawing on the side. So there's group activities, individual activities that go on. And really, the arts and crafts room is a fun, robust activity area. It's like a clubhouse. Lots of activity goes on up in the arts and crafts, and we encourage people to make stuff to take home with them. Lots of souvenirs come out of the arts and crafts room. Oh, yes, those souvenirs, all the creative stuff going on in there. Beautiful, 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 Tony. Well, we're talking about the pond. This body of water was the place where the campers traveled across the lake using pedal boats, even playing bumper boats in them. Tell us more about this activity in the big pond. Yeah, so going out on the boats, we have a couple of the paddle boats, and we have a couple row boats, and we even break out the kayaks these days for people to practice on that. Boating is, uh, you know, physically active. It's great. We always do it more in the morning time. It's a little shady, and it's a physical activity. We have to always compete with the folks that want to fish on the lake. They go out on the island, and they're doing fishing, so we try not to do a lot of boating while the fish, uh, folks are trying to fish. 
But boating is always a fun activity because you can get four or five people on the boat. So it's group oriented. It always feels nice and cool when you're out there. We have races sometimes, competitions going back and forth across the lake. Sometimes folks just go out there for a little stroll and they'll find a shade area and just go out and talk and relax out there. There's also a lot of folks who gather around the boat dock waiting for their turn and we do a lot of music. You know, someone will bring an accordion or bring the guitar. They'll have the on-camp radio system going on. It's a big social spot to gather around the, uh, the boat dock area. When we invite guests up, like dog, um, Guide Dogs for the Blind or a uh, service dog organization comes up and visits us often, oftentimes they'll come out and hang out by the picnic tables down by the boat dock because people are waiting their turn. It's always in the shade, plenty of water to drink. It's always uh, a popular activity for morning time, that's for sure. we got to talk about the dining hall. This is mm-hmm. one true culinary place. You got to tell us about the dining hall and its best food. <laughs> well, you, you mean my personal preference? <laughs> you can talk about your personal preference and others too. Yeah, my personal preference in the dining hall for breakfast, I love the chili egg puff and I love the scones. One of the things that we do up at camp is we bake our own desserts, you know, and, and I bake our own breads. And I'm very proud of that, that fact. Uh, another thing I'm very proud of up there in the kitchen is that of my six cooks this year, five of them are blind or visually impaired themselves. That's very true about most of our staffing up there. I love the pizza. Absolutely love the pizza. And one of our newest ones, Brian, that we didn't have when you were up there, but we have this baker who makes these chicken pot pies that are whew, pretty darn amazing. Most people would walk away remembering the cookies. People love the cookies of Enchanted Hills Camp. Uh, we take great pride in making those, and it's it's not always the same cookie. You know, we do, do chocolate chip, we do uh, oatmeal raisin, snickerdoodles, ginger spice, double double chocolate. I mean, there's lots of variety, but our cookies are are well renowned up at Enchanted Hills Camp. But we offer three meals a day: breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <clears throat> nice variety. We also cater to folks who have dietary restrictions, so we can do some gluten-free and our vegetarian dishes. So uh, we're, we're very proud. That's To me, the, the kitchen, the dining hall, that's the heart of the camp. EHC offers various specialty sessions. These aren't the camp sessions, but they're designed for the blind to improve and show off their skills. What are the skills? Really popular has been our woodworking programs up at camp. During the summer, we do woodworking all through the regular program, but we also host the National Blind Woodworkers Association. We run woodworking weekends, call it Woodworking with Wurzel. We offer those four, five, six times a year, four-day, three-night workshops. In fact, there's one starting this Thursday, Thursday through Sunday. And again, it's really learning how to use wood saws, table saws and lathes and stuff like that. George is totally blind himself. He teaches folks how to how to do that. Music Academy, folks that are really interested in music and especially developing uh, literacy skills. You know, how do you compose music as a blind person? What kind of software programs do you use? How do you read music in Braille? We offer that program in the summertime. We have Deaf Blind session, which is entirely focused on folks with dual disability loss. That's another specialized one. We have a horse camp that's just completely focused on blind, visually impaired folks that want to really study horses and, and, you know, anything, everything from anatomy to proper uh, saddling and grooming to trail riding. 
So we'll, we'll also do chemistry camp up at camp. Um, so folks that are really interested in science, we're having a tactile arts and graphics workshop later on in September. So we have a lot of specialized activities that take place at the camp also beyond the uh, kind of the traditional uh, play-based activities that we have during the summertime. Tell me more about the Youth Music Academy. One of our listeners by the name of Don Horn wants to know. Well, the Music Academy, we started about three years ago with Bill McCann. He's out of uh, Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. He's the president and CEO of Dancing Dots. Got talking with Bill about coming out here and running a music academy that really is focused on the age group of like 16 to 24. These are high school, college age students that are serious about music as a career or a serious hobby where they utilize that as their main recreation or, or leisure studies. And we've attracted musicians from all over the country and from other countries as well. In fact, for our upcoming Music Academy this year in August, I just got off the phone yesterday with an applicant who's a pianist who's totally blind, and he's, a, he's in Romania. He's interested in coming all the way out from Romania to participate. It really is about using non-visual techniques to create, make music. We also have an opportunity for jam time. Music Academy participants have at least three live performances, one down in Napa, one at the camp, and then one at headquarters in San Francisco. So there is performance aspects too, but most of it is geared towards the education and learning on how to use adaptive techniques to write, compose, participate as a blind musician. How do our listeners sign up for any of VHC sessions? What's the cost? I mean, how do people who want to work at EHC, work at EHC, and what do our listeners need to pack in their suitcases? Well, anyone who's interested, the the main way to access most, if not all of this information is through the Lighthouse webpage, homepage, which is www.lighthouse-sf-san-francisco.org, and then go to the Enchanted Hills camp page, and that has everything, has all the sessions, the costs, a little bit of uh, description of what we do up there. And then for those who need hard copy applications, you can either call us here at the Lighthouse to have something sent to you. You can download the applications from the website, or you can even register for camp online. Pricing for camp runs as cheap as $60 to come for the youth session, the teen session, all the way up to um, the adults with developmental disability session ranges up from anywhere from $375 to $600. The adult sessions are usually around $375. Family camps generally are 175 for the adult and free for children that are blind or visually impaired or 75 for sighted siblings. So there's a whole range of it. And then when people sign up, we send them a confirmation packet, which gives some suggestions on what to bring. Almost everyone knows they should be bringing their shorts and their T-shirts because it can get warm up there and their swimsuits and such. But also it cools down at night. So we encourage folks to bring windbreakers or sweatshirts or something and we encourage folks to uh, make sure that they, they pack the, the amenities and the necessities they might have. It could be their medical prescriptions or something, or it could be things like sunscreen or bug spray or something like that. So we send out a list of suggestive items to bring during your confirmation package. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Tony? I just want to say in Janet Hills Camp, <clears throat> extremely unique experience. It's a, it's a powerful, wonderful experience for building community and also celebrating um, really the empowerment of uh, uh, the blind community um, out here in California. But you meet people from all over the state, all over the country, sometimes all over the world. 
uh, very unique experience and one we're very proud to offer at the Lighthouse for the Blind. I want to thank you, Brian, for giving me an opportunity to talk about one of my favorite places in the world. I'm sure that some of our listeners are going to come to Enchanted Hills and have that unforgettable camp experience. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Brian. Bye-bye. Before we go, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website that's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. My new email address is speakout at acbradio.org and my show archive is at acbradio.org slash speaking dash out dash four dash the dash blind. Please note that there is a link located at the top half of the page and below the heading that says home speaking out for the blind where you can subscribe to the podcast feed and listen to Speaking Out for the Blind shows ranging from episode 94 to the present. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening, and remember to speak out. Here at ACB Radio Mainstream, we are always working to improve the quality of our programming. If you have any feedback about anything you have heard here on ACB Radio Mainstream, please let us know by sending an email to support at acbradio.org. That's support at acbradio.org. You are listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, connecting the blind community. Hello, baby. Pull out of the breakdown lane of the internet superhighway and into memory lane with your host, Anne Sylvia, for the Saturday Cruising Show. Here you will be treated to a fantastic blend of classic soul. R&B. Funk, rockabilly, and dance. You can reach me during the show via email at amsylvia at comcast.net or tweet me at acbribeat. So tune in every Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern, 1 to 3 p.m. Pacific, right here on ACB Radio Interactive. The American Council of the Blind has established the Legacy Society to honor and recognize individuals who have communicated their intentions to include ACB in their estate plans via a bequest or another type of planned gift. We want to acknowledge individuals for including ACB in their will while they are still living so that we can thank them for their commitment to perpetuating ACB's good work for years to come. Says ACB President Kim Charlson, more information about the Legacy Society and how you can help is available from Tom Tobin, Director of Development at ttobin, T-T-O-B-I-N, at acb.org, or by phone at 800-424-8666, option 5. 
Thank you for listening to ACB Radio and for considering ACB's future financial needs. You're listening to acbradio.org. Connecting the blind community around the world. ACB Radio.